had all types of church experience. He knew the word that was revealed until that point. He had lived the law. He was, as we said, uh, and if you read about, he was one of the most respected men in the day. He was one of 60-some-odd rulers that would preside and, and make judgments over the law. And even with all that, he saw something in Jesus that his background had left him wanting, wanting to know more about who Jesus was. So as he struggles with this, he comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Some translations, some translators will say you must be born from above. Nicodemus took it as a physical rebirth. You mean I've got to go back into my mother and get born again? That's impossible. And Jesus basically tells him anything is possible, but it's because of God's love for you that he sent his son. Nicodemus still was struggling with his response to who Jesus claimed to be, this son of God and how could he be reborn and how could he even be born again. So I think Nicodemus came to Jesus in crisis. Nicodemus's crisis. Have you ever been in a crisis? Well, sure you have, right? You've been in crisis? Somebody. I, I, I mean, I, and I know there are all types of crisis. In fact, I'm sure if I was able to pull up my military history of training, I probably had crisis management at some point. Lord knows you forget that when you're in the midst of crisis. That's only for other people, right? Come tell me what you should do. Don't watch what I do. How many times have you been in traffic and somebody cut you off? There's a slight crisis right there. How do you respond? International gesture of hello? Crises, crises, I think is the right way to say plural crisis. Crises, I think that's C-R-I-S-E-S, maybe. Some of you are English teachers, or teachers will tell me wrong or right. But crises can happen amongst many things. There are financial crises, personal, uh, global. I know, I, I saw, I'll get a little eye contact there with Brian. I'm sure there's an environmental crisis always, right? There are always things that we need to be involved in and making good decisions about. Uh, everyone's heard of a midlife crisis, right? I bought a Corvette when I was in my 50s. I know you guys had convertibles too, right? There's nothing wrong with that because somebody came up to me and said, you must be in the midst of a midlife crisis. I said, well, I had a Corvette in my 20s. Why would it be any different? I've been in crisis my whole life. Crisis, <clears throat> I think I have a slide trying to explain to you what a crisis is. A crisis and I asked Dan, as we had our, um, our uh, what do you call that, test drive, our membership class this morning. And before that started, I said, Dan, define crisis. And he said, which I think we all bring negative baggage to a crisis. We think a crisis is something bad. But a crisis is really a time when an important decision must be made. You can have a crisis at your breakfast table. Do I eat the steel-cut oatmeal, which is good for my heart, or do I eat Six donuts that are left in the back from test drive. That's a crisis. An important decision must be made, and sometimes we choose the poor or of the answers. Years ago, wasn't it Wendy's that had hamburger A, which was this like dried up little hamburger, and then you know, or hamburger B, which was the juicy one. And so many times, people choose hamburger A instead of the more scrumptious B. 
be. And I'm not saying whether you should go to Wendy's or McDonald's or wherever. Nicodemus came to Jesus in crisis because there was a, an important decision to be made about who Jesus was and what, Jesus, what he would do with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, go please to the third chapter of John. And because I think, in fact, there are many commentators that, that can discuss whether 16 through 21 are, as I said a few weeks ago, in red letters or not to be in red letters, whether it was Jesus truly talking or John's commentary based on what God had inspired him to, to tell us as readers. Regardless, this is the end of the conversation with Nicodemus. And I think it's important to take up verse 16, which we all know so very well, if you follow along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Those two verses are probably the least familiar verses for most people because we know John 3.16, but we don't know what follows. He's saying, basically, if you have not believed in Christ, you are condemned. Verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives, I think King James says practices, by the truth comes into light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Pray with me, please. Lord, as we look at a passage that closes out a section of Scripture that many of us know about. We know that your Son came that we might have everlasting life. And we know that Jesus challenged Nicodemus to be born again. And many times we have let that crisis decision go unanswered. And John says, if we have not chosen, accepted, believed, confessed that Jesus is Lord... We have been, or stand, condemned. John says we love darkness. It's in our sinful nature to embrace sin versus hugging Christ. I pray today, in the midst of this crisis, we'd make the right decision and decide for Jesus. This I pray in his name. Amen. First point, condemned or redeemed. Now, those of you know, I, I like car illustrations. It's probably because my mind is simple, and um, some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about in just a second. But there's a light that can come on your dash at some times when something is going wrong with your car. And what is the common phraseology that we would say that is? It's an idiot light. <laughs> it speaks to me <laughs> it is my light and there are some people like my sister who if a light goes off they do immediately respond 
But in a Harris poll of adult drivers, 10% of the people are currently driving with a check engine light on. Fifty percent, I didn't know I've spit that much, 50% of those that have check engine light on have had it on for over three months. And they have a list of excuses. It's driving so good, why would I do anything about it? It uh, is too costly for me to fix. Or perhaps someday down the road, the next owner might decide to fix it. For years, as I've said, we've called those idiot lights. It's because, those of you who say, why do we call that that? Because if you have a water gauge in your car or on your dash, in your cluster of instruments, or you have an oil pressure gauge or even a transmission cooler gauge or maybe something with volts for your battery, you may not have those lights because you can monitor the symptoms of your engine by looking at the gauges. And for those of us who don't have gauges or those who would not monitor them if we had them, there are those lights called idiots. Jesus gives Nicodemus a warning light. Hmm. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And many of us will, wow, that's amazing. Jesus did not come to condemn. He, he did not come to persecute me. He came to save me. And then we stop. But John goes on and says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, compare that to, I think I have in there for you, 1 John. This is an epistle of John, the same writer. Chapter 5, is that the next slide? There you go. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his t this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. And that's some powerful thinking. If Christ was sent by the one who loves us to redeem us, and we don't believe that, you've made God into a liar because they have not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. Go back to that, next, that pointer slide, if you will. I don't know if you still have it there, guys. Condemned or redeemed. Wow. In short, Jesus is saying, the Father has sent me. I came because of his love to redeem the lost. But if you don't believe, you are already condemned. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ today, the check engine light is flashing on your dashboard of your soul. The gauge is in the red. The warning light is telling you, if you don't believe, you stand condemned. A decision in this crisis will be made either for him or against him. Even with the gift of redemption, you must accept, embrace, profess. Verse 18 says you must believe or you are to believe. Now, you said I've been around the world. I have been. I never like a Navy guy. You know, I've um, I visited David Countryman in the hospital, and I know the guys in the Navy, when they go across the equator, they do all crazy stuff, get on their back, play like a turtle. I think that's what they do. Somebody else has been in the Navy will tell me later. 
But uh, because I had two consecutive overseas assignments, I had a couple more later, but two I went back to back from Korea to England. And at the time when you'd fly into Korea, it was Northwest Airlines. Uh, you go through Detroit, Detroit to Seoul, Seoul nonstop. You know, it's like you get me off this airplane. I've had 15 movies and 75 meals and I went off. And in those days they could smoke on the airplane. So, you know, you get near the smoking section, you get off, you feel like you've lived in an ashtray and you're whatever, your legs are swelled up the size of your waist. And even if you are young, it's because you've sat so long. Um, so I went from there to, to Lakenheath, uh, England, which I talked to somebody about that earlier this morning. And that was TWA. And because I'm from Illinois and St. Louis was the major airport, we could fly back from England to St. Louis on TWA many, many times, Gatwick or, or Heathrow to St. Louis. And I got a lot of Northwest airline miles, but guess what? I didn't use them before Delta took a hold of them. Got a lot of TWA miles, didn't use them before American got a hold of them. So I lost out on the opportunity to take wonderful trips, to go wonderful places. And many times, I think that's why I want to talk about the fact of being condemned or redeemed. If you don't accept Jesus, if you don't place your faith in him, the text says you've been condemned. Well, don't lose out on the crisis at hand when it comes to making a decision for Jesus. Because if you don't, you will be condemned. So Spurgeon said, and of course I love to quote Charles Spurgeon, if you have heard of Christ's salvation and have not believed in him, that is evidence enough for your condemnation. There is no need to prove your evil works, the record of your life. No need to fetch your diary. I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Go get your diary. Tell me all the good things you've done. No, it doesn't matter. If you have not believed in him, there's already enough evidence for your condemnation. And by that evidence, you are condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What is amazing to me is that these verses after verse 16 are so unfamiliar to most of us. Maybe some of you have memorized them, but they are the ones that put it back in your face. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And if you don't place your faith in him, you're condemned. Let's put it in old Baptist parlance. You're going to hell. Separated from Jesus for eternity. Now, there will be many reasons that people will claim to fall away from the faith or not to accept faith. But John says it's clearly why people don't believe is because people prefer the darkness over the light. It's like those cockroaches that run when the light comes on. Now, I tried to research that this week, and I was going to play a video on cockroaches, and I knew some of you would get sick and gross, and, you know, I make Brenda watch Pimple, Pimple Popper enough that that's gross enough, and we were watching it the other night while we were eating, and I about threw up myself, but uh, I don't really know whether cockroach is truly photo, you know, sensitive, and the light bothers them, or they're smart enough, because they say they're really smart, they say that cockroaches are really smart, and that they know if the light comes on, the people are out, so they need to hide from them, but they don't want to be seen. They don't want to die. They don't want to be stomped on or kicked in the corner. And likewise, often, we sinners avoid the light because we prefer the darkness. And that's our next point. Darkness or light. 
Look with me at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come to the world, into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, if I go back, I don't think I put this next slide in there. If I go back to 1 John, these two, you know, the Epistle of John, the Gospel of John, often uh, complement each other. In 1 John, um, verses 5 through 7, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We were introduced to Jesus being the light in the first chapter. If you remember when we paused for so long on in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, we find that he is that light. John testified to the coming light. So here we are standing at this decision point of this crisis. King James says it is condemnation. This is at verse 19. In New American Standard says this is the judgment. And NIV, which I use, says this is the verdict. So I have a slide on this Greek word, and this was almost the entire title for the whole sermon. That's the Greek word, crisis. Crisis comes from a word which means judge. A decision, a judgment, a verdict, justice, or even a, as in a gathering of the court system. You have an important decision to make when it comes to stepping into the light, following Christ, or staying in the darkness. Each morning, my past week, I begin every morning with CNN, well, scripture, CNN, coffee, and then YouTube. I'm a YouTube addict, and I apologize for that, and I might even have one to show you here in a little bit. But I've been watching this past week, Johnny Depp, which I only knew from, like, the pirate stuff, Pirates of the Caribbean. And his, his, he and his former wife are in the midst of uh, a trial because of defamation of character. Her name is Amber Heard, and I know she's been in movies, and uh, I, that's about as far as I'll go on that. But the verdict is supposed to come in, I think, maybe next week. Who knows? But we read in this passage that the verdict, the judgment, the condemnation is this. That light has come into the world. But you and I loved darkness more than we loved the light. Now, say, oh, Cliff, I have made my decision. Well, then good, good. And then I would draw your attention to that last verse that says you are to practice the truth, be living by that truth. But the light is coming into the world, and we prefer darkness. And I started off on my list of, you know, sometimes I do lists like this, like saying, well, if you prefer the darkness over the light of God. It's like saying, I prefer to be rejected by God than to be loved by God. It's like that hamburger A and hamburger B. Why, why would you ever think that way? It's like being offered a cure for whatever that is ailing you and say, no, I prefer to suffer and die. It's like being offered forgiveness and say, no, I, I prefer to be hated by those I offended. It's like offered, being offered a home in glory. I just did a funeral on Friday, and once again, I read John 14. I go now to prepare a place for you. Would you turn down a place prepared by the master, by the savior, by the carpenter, versus, no, I just prefer to 
you know, live in hell the rest of eternity. I prefer the narrow way is the way of the light versus the highway to hell that most of us think is more fun or sing that song. Yeah. Some of you would prefer indifference versus compassion. It's like being offered a friend who will never leave you and saying, I prefer my fair weather friends who are never there when I'm in need. Again, let me quote Spurgeon. He says, The dislike of Christ is caused by a love of sin. If men did not hug their sins, they would embrace the Savior. You see why men don't come to Christ? They don't want to give up their sin. They don't want to be made uneasy. They are afraid of being reproved or corrected. A few years ago, there was a website. I just stumbled on this this week because it was a reference from somebody else had written. I thought, oh, I'm going to check that out. It's no longer there. And, of course, those of you who are younger know more of uh, the Internet than I. It's called the Experience Project where... Uh, those who put it together, it had millions of followers. I think it actually shut down in 2016, and I don't know why I didn't research that. But they would ask a question, and people were supposed to post their reasons. And what got my attention when I was Googling that or looking it through, at one point they were asked why you might prefer darkness over light. And a lady by the screen name of, because I found this, a lady by the screen name of Beyond Repair this was her response. I prefer darkness over light. The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you cannot see what is coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because you are free from what you were and can be what you want. The darkness is bliss. Darkness is death. Light is life. Christ is light. Reject him is death and darkness. It's like we see the light and we run back to those cabinets or into those crevices of the home like cockroaches running away from the light of God. My sister and I love flashlights. I could buy her a flashlight for Christmas, her birthday. I could buy her a flashlight just for fun. And she would ooh and all over that like I'd given her a million dollars. She loves flashlights. Even if they don't have batteries, she loves flashlights. Because someday she's going to have me go buy more batteries for her where we can turn the flashlight on. And, uh, you know, I, I've got several flashlights. And, of course, I forgot to bring the one I wanted to show you. Because I understand that the average flashlight is around 100 lumen. And I'm not... Lumens must have came out after I had high school physics. I'm sure it didn't, but I don't remember much about lumens. But I do know that's how we measure light and the, the intensity of it. Uh, Dan told me that, how bright is your bicycle light? 700? 700. You said one of your tacticals is like 1,000? So these are like spotlight, you know, like whoosh, burn your eyes out, almost like a laser. So, of course, here's why I got the YouTube, you know, drill down. Cliff, you're going to use flashlights. You ought to see the most, you know, the most powerful flashlight in the world. And this is what you come up with. So go ahead and show them. I'll give them like a minute and a half of this. We witness a lot of audacious, awe-inspiring record attempts here at Guinness World Records. 
And here's another from the team at Hacksmith Industries. After building the world's first proto lightsaber, Hacksmith next set their sights on another Guinness World Record title by building the world's brightest outsized flashlight. They started with the brightest flashlight you can buy and, well, decided to multiply that by over 15 times. Let's see just how they did it. Just for reference, this is the current amount of LEDs in the world's most powerful flashlight. And this is the number of LEDs in our flashlight. That's good. You can look that one up yourself. Um, that group, uh, Hacksmith Industries, is a bunch of geeks, you know, technical geeks. They're, they are trying to inspire young people to be engineers. So they do this really neat stuff. And uh, that thing is 500,000 lumen. So if he's got one that's between 1,000 and 1,500, that will probably make you see stars for at least five minutes, that would probably burn your eyes out. In the video, if you watch, there is some kind of gauge that has like a weather vane inside of what I would imagine to be like a light bulb. You could see this thing turn. And when you take like a 1,000 lumen flashlight, it, it try and that thing starts turning pretty fast. When they turned the 500,000 on, it blew up. But the greatest thing I can tell you about flashlights like that, or like what my sister loves to collect, or what I have, yeah, without batteries it doesn't work. But even if you have batteries, if you don't turn it on, you stay in the darkness. So many of us have failed to flip the switch of faith, to say, I accept who Jesus is. I want to believe in him and live for him, and enjoy this rebirth this born-again experience that Nicodemus was told he had to have. As you face the crises of the day, it is decision time. Will you keep walking in the darkness or step into the light? Will you embrace the sin or embrace forgiveness? Let me read one more time for you, verses 16 through 18. These are the words that preach themselves. If I could sing them, Aaron, I would, but I won't. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Nicodemus faced a crisis. What to do? What to decide about Jesus? It's the same crisis that you and I face. What will you decide? Stand with me, please, and we'll pray. Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, it is that crisis moment. For those who have accepted Christ and stepped into the light, and live according to the truth. Lord, this should be a time of, aha, I, I know what he's talking about. And Lord, for those others that are in the midst of this crisis that have never said, I want to believe in Jesus, they stand condemned according to your very word. And if we believe the word to be true, inspired by you, and we believe what John said in 1 John, Lord, if we don't believe, we have made you into a liar. And that is not of your nature. So I pray in the midst of this crisis, if there's one here today who's never stepped forward to say, I want to believe in Jesus, this would be the moment. This is our prayer. 
If others want to come to these steps and kneel and pray and pray that you would relieve them of the burdens of the day, uh, we would ask you to let your Holy Spirit move in our midst and let your light rain down upon us. For I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.